Come on, are you glad to be in church today? We've got a lot of things to pray about and think about and consider in our, just in our community, in our, our region of the country. But uh, I want to say welcome and thank you for being a part of our church services today. My name is Mike Burnett. I get to serve here as lead pastor. My wife and I are so excited to serve you as pastors here. And thank you for being a part of our services today. And whether you're joining us online or in the room, if this is your first time here, we want to say welcome and thank you. And if you would take a moment and just text those letters LPC to 31996, or if you're in the room, you can fill out a connection card. That would be your gift to us. Welcome to all of our video campuses, live streaming through our online campus, as well as our East Valley Dream Center in Phoenix, Arizona, Chandler, AZ. We love you guys. We're so thankful for being one church around the world. And a reminder, we are incorporating video in all of our locations, so thank you for your flexibility with that. Know that as we flex with video, it allows us to continue to add new locations and new services. Hey, we got to deal with what's going on in our community, actually, if you're not tracking. We had a major tornadic event, just uh, just kind of go through our community Friday night into Saturday morning. And man, tornado storms are just so frightening and difficult, especially in the middle of the, of the night. Uh, so we've had this unseasonable warm weather, and then on the back end comes this storm, this cold front storm coming through and bringing tons of other um, just damaging windstorms and thunderstorms and then a tornado. In fact, they estimate that the tornado that uh, came through our region it's the longest tornado, like it's the longest any tornado's ever been on ground and stayed on the ground. Uh, I was kind of, my wife is a real Weather Channel nerd, and so we had all the weather stuff going all day. And I say that in, as a term of endearment, you know what I'm saying? But uh, <clears throat> they were saying the, the debris of this was going 16,000 feet in the air from this tornado. It was tragic. And uh, went right through our community, started in Arkansas and ended up in Kentucky. And uh, four states were hit by this in, into Illinois, I believe, as well. But we're stuck in a position of like many times in in situations like this, we feel powerless, like we can't do everything. So where do we start? Well, I want to tell you, church, where you're going to be involved and where we are already involved as a church. But let me just set it up by saying thank you for being a generous church. Like we're, we're always wanting to be in a position where we can make a difference in the lives of others, whether it's through regular generosity, regular benevolence, whatever it is, or in times of crisis. And so uh, as soon as this storm started coming through, I started working just with my network of, of friends and leaders and organizations to try to make sure people were kind of prepped and ready for this. And then communicating with pastors. In fact, a couple of churches that you guys through your giving have helped plant churches in Murray and Mayfield and Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, we started reaching out to some of our pastors on the ground there. And as soon as that storm passed through, man, it was just devastation. In fact, um, Pastor Dustin, who pastors a church in Murray, Kentucky, grew up in Mayfield he was at the candle factory within 30 minutes of it collapsing. And he himself, Pastor Dustin, who you guys have helped launch his church through your giving, pulled five bodies out of that candle factory. I mean, you don't train for that stuff in Bible college, you know what I'm saying? And so just know that uh, we're, we're connected, we're impacting there as best we can. YAPAC, of course, is on the ground. And uh, we've got teams going right now to parts of Kentucky, Princeton, and other communities to help. And we've got some staging grounds in the area. And uh, also, our partnership with YAPAC and Convoy of Hope, and then our church. We're, we're going to have trips available as you can just keep tracking with our website. We're going to have uh, small groups going, and then if you'd like to serve and just get on a team somewhere, we've got our, our serve shirts available in our lobby today if you want to just grab one so that you can be ready. I heard a, a family came up to me after the first service and said, man, we were so moved by what happened Saturday. We just got in our car and drove to Kentucky. We put our red LifePoint shirts on and drove to Kentucky. 
and said, we found an Amish family that had been just completely devastated. So we just rolled up to their house and said, can we help? And they said, of course, yes. So they said, we spent the entire day with chainsaws and rakes and our whole family got out. And uh, they said, why are you doing this? Who are you? Where are you from? They're like, we're from Life Point in Clarksville. It's like, come on, that's what I'm talking about. So they just went, and I want to encourage you, listen, we are going to engage because these are our neighbors, these are our friends, just like we did in Waverly. By the way, we just had a great outreach with APAC in Waverly from your Bags by the Bumpers. You guys provided Christmas for a bunch of families in Waverly yesterday. We're staying in the, this is what we do as the body of Christ. I think in times of pressure, the church shines brighter. Can I hear an amen, everybody? So, so let me just talk to you a little bit about what we're doing and how you can be a part of it. And it's related to your giving. We, I, I want to open up some of the transparency for you here. If you've never heard this before, let me just be really clear. We're a church that believes in bringing tithes to the Lord, and we believe the tithe is the first 10% of what God gives you through your profession, your job, or whatever, your yield. If you're a farmer, you know, your corn. <clears throat> we believe the first 10% we give to God by giving through his church. I didn't come up with that, neither did a bunch of pastors. God designed it this way. Leviticus 27 says the tithe is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And so we give to the Lord by giving to our local church. You don't really need to pray about whether or not you should tithe. You need to decide if you're going to obey God in tithing, right? And that's what we've taught here for a long time. So God will do, do more with your 90% than you can with your 100. There's something about God getting involved when you become a tither. Then we believe in a second part of giving called offerings. Now in the scripture in Malachi 3, it says we bring tithes and then give offerings, right? So the offering is beyond the tithe, the 10%. The offering is unique. Tithing, you just have to decide if you're going to obey or not. Offerings, you need to ask God and then obey what the Lord directs you to. So offerings is always unique and above the tithe. So with tithing, I say obey God. With offerings, I say pray and ask God. And this weekend, I want to do something I've never done before as the pastor of this church here. I've been here 11 and a half years, my wife and I have. And you know that we believe it's every Christian's responsibility to obey God in tithing. Well, we also practice tithing as a church. That is, any of the income that comes in through your giving, we give 10% away to ministers and missionaries and church partners. That's how we support missionaries around the world and help with planting churches. And that's how we support YAPAC and do big gifts, offerings, and all that kind of thing. We give 10% of the giving of this church away. We've tithed 10% of everything you've given for the last like nine years. Well, this weekend... I started asking, like I, I started working the phones and calling. I probably contacted a couple hundred pastors via email texts and group texts and CEOs and entrepreneurs and business leaders and, and bank presidents and everybody that I could. And I just, I started working the network that I have saying, hey, I, we can't go yet because they're still in search and rescue, but we can raise money on the back, on the front end to help generate uh, some, some money for the needs that are there. And this weekend as I was doing that, I really felt like the Lord said to, uh, to be willing to give the entirety of this weekend's giving away as an offering. Normally, whatever you give per week, we give 10% of that away. But this weekend, I felt like the Lord said, we need to give 100% of everything that you give to the church. We need to give it all away to help families that are impacted. So I reached out to our CFO, I reached out to our bookkeeper, our board treasurer, and then our entire board. And I said, hey, pray with me about this decision. And unanimously, we all agree that we feel like it's the Lord's will that 100% of anything that you give this weekend Every bit of it will go. Because you've been so generous over the year, I mean, all of our needs are taken care of. Now we have a whole set of cities that have nothing but need. And how many of you know the church can be on the leading edge of making a difference for those folks in these surrounding towns? So I want to tell you today that 100% of everything that you give in today's offering, whether you give today, tomorrow, or Tuesday, all of it, you don't have to worry about designations or anything, everything will go away uh, to give away. If you feel good about that, can you say amen? It's your giving, so I want to make sure that you're in agreement with that. Now, now listen, I don't know if you've ever lived in a time of your life where you've literally lost everything. 
But that's the case for thousands of families. They're estimating so far 100 dead, but probably going to be more. Thousands of families are without, and then this cold front's come through. They're freezing, no power, no electricity. It's something that we can do. Now, we're going to go and send teams. We're going to send trips. We're going to do chainsaw, you know, uh, clearing out yards and all that kind of stuff and helping. But giving is a way that you can help make a tangible difference right away. In 2004, my wife and I literally lost everything in an apartment fire. We were 24 and uh, 22, and we got woken up, awoken. We arose <laughs> five in the morning. And the firemen are pounding on our door and we go outside within five seconds from waking up to being outside to figure out what's going on. You know, you're in that fog and that phase. I'm going, what in the heck's happening? And as soon as I walked out of the building to see it on fire, the firemen grabbed me and said, you can't go back in. And I said, my keys are in there, my phone's in there, my wallet, everything's in there. He's like, you're not going back in. And my wife and I, with no socks or shoes on our feet, went and stood out in the front yard of our apartment complex and watched the whole building go down in flames. And everything we were able to collect by the end of that day, we could put into a container about this tall and this wide. We lost everything that day. And because I'm an idiot, I threw away renter's insurance letters every week. Uh, we don't need that. <laughs> what are you, I'm 22. What's going to happen to me? <laughs> so I had no renter's insurance. I had no money. We had nothing. In fact, um, uh, the church showed up for us that day. And one of the staff members' husband came and picked me up in his pickup truck. I, he brought me a pair of socks because I was literally wearing shorts and a T-shirt and an afro because I'd grown my hair out really long. It was glorious, beautiful. I was on the news for the, with that. It was awesome. Here's what happened. See, and this guy from our church picked me up in his truck and he took me to a shoe store at 10 a.m. as soon as they opened. And I walked in holding a pair of socks with no shoes on my feet. And I walked in the store, I said, I need, I need a pair of shoes. I own nothing. And that morning, he bought me a pair of shoes because I had nothing. Listen, the day after our fire, I go to church. I'm the youth pastor and choir director. Stephanie and I are working there. And my pastor stood up in front of our church, and he said, if you've ever been stingy before, today is not the day to be stingy. We're in a season of giving. It's Christmas. Some of you have been asking about year-end gifts. How can we give something to make a big difference? Today's the day. I want to ask every one of you to give something and I want to ask every one of you to give sacrificially. If, if you've ever been stingy before, today's not the day. My family, we're going to give a huge gift as big as we can to this offering in particular. And just know that 100% of it will go away. If you're looking for a great place to give, all of it will go out through your church. And I just want to say, if you've ever been stingy before, on behalf of Pastor Barry, my first pastor, don't be stingy today. If you feel a witness in the Holy Spirit that we should do this, can you say amen today together? Father, in Jesus' name, would you direct our giving today? We thank you, Lord, that you'll help us to be generous beyond what we've planned for today. I pray that even more than our regular tithes or contributions, that, Lord, you would just raise up in us a desire to go above and beyond. God, maybe we'll give up a meal this afternoon, or maybe we'll give up an event this week or some kind of gift that we're receiving for Christmas in order to make a difference. God, you've blessed us with so much because of Jesus. Lord, thank you that the church can lead the way in generosity and helping these families put their lives back together. God, I don't believe that LifePoint can do everything, but Lord, I believe we can do something. And so God, would you help us? Would you lead us? Put our confidence in you. Let us trust in you that God, we can give generously. We can serve faithfully. And God, there will be a time when we come alongside these families and help put their lives back together. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us to be a part of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord today. Thank you for your giving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And by the way, thank you for letting me be your pastor in moments like this. Uh, these are hard times, but I'm just telling you, man, when, when the world is hard and heavy, 
I think the church should shine brighter than ever. We don't retreat and hide out. We shine bright and we preach the gospel and we, we lean in. Amen, everybody? All right, you ready to go back to the book of Acts? Can y'all shift your heart a little bit towards that? Uh, we are in the final message in our Acts series before the new year. In fact, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Christmas-themed series next Sunday. On the, the 19th, we'll have a Christmas message for you uh, wrapped around the Advent themes. And then on Christmas Eve, so that's Friday, Christmas Eve, I want to make sure everybody hears this again. We're going to have three service times, and it's family style at our Rossview campus, and of course, we'll be on video, but I don't, uh, we're not having those services at Austin P State University, but at our Rossview campus, family style services at 11 a.m., 1 p.m., or 3 p.m., then we want you to get home so you can have your, your Christmas Eve family uh, time and events, but <clears throat> want all of you to be a part of one of those services, 11, 1, or 3, and then the following Sunday, on the Sunday after Christmas, so this is December 26th. We will not have services in person. We'll have a digital Christmas Sunday. So stay home, enjoy your family, brush your teeth, please. And then worship with us um, online throughout the day with your family. We've got a great Christmas uh, Sunday message for you. And then on January 1st, we begin our 21 days of fasting and prayer. How many of you excited about our 21 days of fasting and prayer? Yes, yes, yes. I love it. It's one of my favorite times of the year. It's a great time for reset. I'm starting a, a five-week series in January called Fresh Start, and then we'll get back into Acts in February. But, um, but I want to encourage everyone to participate in our 21 days of fasting and prayer. And here's what I want to really ask you to do. I want everybody to, to turn up your level of participation in the fast this year. So if you've never fasted before, consider some type of fast. If you fasted maybe a meal or some kind of beverage like coffee in the morning or sodas or whatever, I want to encourage you to take a step forward in your fasting this year. And uh, honestly, fasting is not a diet. I think a lot of people come out of Christmas and they're like, ooh, I need to fast, man, all this sugar and fried turkeys and whatnot. Fasting is not about dieting. Fasting is about saying no to things you like in order to pray. So don't be fasting cucumbers. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't just be fasting squash, talking about, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. <laughs> I want to encourage you to fast. And fasting is also not abstaining from like social media or Netflix. Like some of us need to do that anyway, but fasting is about close your mouth from ingesting things, food, drink, whatever, and uh, dedicate that time to prayer. Of course, we partner with Convoy of Hope that everything we fast, we save that expense and we give to clean drinking water. Okay, Acts chapter 10, thank you to Pastor Bo for an amazing job he did last week. Are you thankful for Pastor Bo? Man, there's something about that guy. I just like a tall guy with good hair and four kids. You know what I'm saying? It's, Bo and I have traveled together. Sometimes we'll say, yeah, we're pastors together. And they go, do you have to be six and a half feet tall to work here? Yes. <laughs> I'm so thankful to Pastor Bo. He set us up really well. So we're finishing Acts chapter 10. I've titled the message today, the gospel, this gospel is the power of God to change lives. How many of you know somebody whose life needs to be changed? Anybody know anybody in your family, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker that you go, man, they need to be transformed by Jesus. Well, listen, the gospel is the power of God to change their lives. In fact, it, we're going to see what happens after Peter's interaction with the centurion. We're going to see what happens now when Peter shows up to his house. So it's kind of the, the, the sequel to the sermon from last week. But I'm, I'm really struck by this verse from the Apostle Paul as we set up this message. And I know it's not in the book of Acts, but just you should know this verse really well and memorize it. Romans 1.16, Paul, the apostle who's later, who was Saul, we read about in the last couple of weeks, but now he's the Apostle Paul, and he writes this to the Roman Christ, these Romans who are, he's, he's reaching to with the gospel, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. For it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation 
to save for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me just unpack this for a second. I mean, this is an amazing verse. You got to understand what the gospel is. First of all, the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. The gospel is not the latest Christian meme you wrote. The gospel is not the coolest little cheesy Christian bumper sticker. The gospel is not what would Jesus do on a bracelet. The gospel is the power of God to change lives. What is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. That is God with us who came to this world He lived a sinless life. He died in our place to pay for the punishment of our sin. And then he rose from the dead. How many of you know there's no gospel without a resurrection? If Jesus dying for our sins is nothing if he didn't raise from the dead. He's just another religious leader who died for his beliefs. But the power of the gospel is in the resurrection of Jesus, that he rose from the dead. And in doing so, he defeated the power of death, the fear of death, and the grip of sin on your life. Listen, if you've received Jesus, you don't have to live that way anymore. Now, I'm going to get my preach on today. Y'all better get your amen on today. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I got my southern drawl kicking in earlier today. I, was, I started preaching, and I started shouting, and then I had no organ player, and I had a bunch of white people blinking at me going, what in the world is he doing, Margaret? What's all this ha, ha, ha stuff for? So I need y'all to get with me today because I'm really fired up. The gospel is the power of God, Paul says. He goes, listen, stop clapping. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed to put this message on full display. It's the power of God to change people. Jesus died for my sins. He raised from the dead so that he could defeat death and so that I can live for God. That's the gospel. We should never be ashamed of it. I'm not only not ashamed of being a Christian, I'm not ashamed of telling people how they can become one too. Here's what he said, it is the power of God to change people. People think the power of God is just getting you, get, go pray. No, the power of God is the gospel. The power of God is a resurrected Jesus. The power of God is not just some good preacher or a good Instagram account. The power of God is the resurrected Savior who came to the world to change the world. It's not just religious people or good people or powerful people. The power of God is to save everybody. Look what he says, for everyone, the Jew first and also the Greek, notice it's the power of God to save everybody. It's, here's what that means. It's the only way to find salvation is through the gospel. There is no plan B for God. There's no other gospel. There's no other religion on the planet that God goes, yeah, I'll use that too. He doesn't use Islam or Judaism. He doesn't use Buddhism. He doesn't use Mormonism. He only uses the resurrected Jesus to save everybody. There's no other way to God for Jews or Greeks, Canadians, Iraqis, Americans, Tennesseans, and praise God, Alabamans can get saved too. The gospel is God's power for everyone. It's the power of God for old, old people and young people, men and women, black people, and for white people. It's the power of God for Hispanic people, Middle Eastern people, Asian people, rich folks, poor folks, good folks, bad folks, Dr. Seuss quotes and everything else. <laughs> the only way to God is through the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died and raised again to save people. And that's the power of God to save people. So today, we're going to see a verse like this lived out in real life. Like, what, how, okay, great. I believe that. How many of you say, yes, I believe that. But then how do you live that? And that's what Peter shows us in his interaction with Cornelius. Now, remember the setup. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. That means he's, a, he's an officer in the Roman military. To be a centurion means he had at least 100 under him. And the centurions were the oppressive regime of the day. Now, I want you to understand this. Rome was the man in the worst sense of the word. Rome was the occupiers. Rome were the persecutors. And guess who hung Jesus on the cross? Roman centurions. 
And now all of a sudden, God has a heart for a Roman centurion. The very people that nailed him to the cross, Jesus wants to save through the cross. And Peter was a best friend to Jesus who was oppressed by Rome. And Peter's the one called by God to go to this Roman oppressor, this occupier, this horrible man who represents this whole system. Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying here? And God has a heart for this centurion. Today we're going to see I'm Not Ashamed of the Gospel lived out in real time by Peter as he enters the life of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who has a prayer life. It says he's a devout man of prayer. He's generous. He gives alms. And he's desiring God. We saw last week that God had to get involved in this situation because Peter didn't care for Gentiles, much less Romans. Peter had a heart for Jesus, but Peter didn't heart, have a heart for who Jesus had a heart for. Peter had an issue with, this, with the Greeks because they were non-Jews, they were Romans, they were non-Israelites. Non, uh, but God doesn't call any of these people unclean or common, even if we've decided that they are. God has a heart for everyone, even if we don't have a heart for everyone. Peter struggled with racial preference because he's a non-Jew. Peter struggled with religious preference because he's a non-Jew. The apostle Peter was so close to Jesus, the best friend of Jesus, and didn't have the heart like Jesus. In fact, the apostle Paul would later confront Peter to his face. It's the first MMA fight of the Bible. And it was two pastors. <laughs> I love it. Some of y'all want some milk toasty lamb carrying pastor. You know what I'm saying? That just ain't me. Well, bless the Lord. I'm so glad you're here today. And here's my lamb. You know, that is, I want the MMA Apostle Paul Peter fighting pastor. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all don't even know what to do with that right now. <laughs> What's he talking about, Margaret? <laughs> so that level of religious and racial discrimination was an obvious affront to the gospel. It was such a big deal to Jesus, he left heaven to come deal with it. That's how much God hates racism and classism and sexism and isms. And it's still evil. Let's move on. If we're going to understand how to share this gospel, we got to have a heart. We got to share God's heart for all people. Everybody say all people. And now be honest and go even them. We got to have a heart for all people. Read what happens in verse 23. Let me just read it for you. So, so um, the guys come to Peter. He had had this vision. He's inwardly perplexed. And then he agrees to go down. In verse 23, he invited them to be, uh, they invited Peter to be his guests. Or he invited them in. And then the next day, rather, they rose and they went away. Uh, he went away with them. And some of the brothers, uh, the Christian brothers from Joppa accompanied Peter. And on the following day, now two days of the journey, they entered Caesarea. Now, Caesarea by the sea, it was a big city, a Roman city. They had a, uh, they had a Colosseum there. They had shrines to their pagan gods. It's actually one of the first towns I've been there. It's one of the first towns where they used indoor plumbing and aqueducts. It was really brilliant. Uh, but anyway, so they, they finally entered Caesarea by the sea, and Cornelius was expecting them. So Cornelius, the Roman centurion who had invited Peter to come, he had called together his relatives and all of his close friends. You ever go to somebody's house and a whole bunch of other people were there you weren't expecting? So Cornelius called his cousins and them, and he has them all there in the house. And then verse 25 says, when Peter entered the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now, Apostle Peter, this has never happened to him before. And the response of Peter is brilliant. Peter lifts him up and he says, stand up. I too am a man. Well, one day I want to write a Bible that's like 
Mike's international version. You know what I'm saying? It's got a little New Orleans taste to it. It's going to be like, bro, get up off your feet. What's wrong with you? You know, like I just can imagine Peter going, hey, bro, it's just you and me here. Stand up. And so I, I, I love the honesty of this scene. Now, let me just unpack it for you here, which is why I bring it back up. I know Pastor Bo mentioned it last week. But for the Roman centurion, worshiping a divine man wasn't foreign to him. In fact, he was used to worshiping and hailing Caesar. He, Roman paganism included human deities. So he, he wasn't trying to dishonor God. He just didn't know any better. He was trying to be honoring of the God he was seeking. So him bowing to Peter was from a sincere place, even if it was wrong. Can I ask all of us to be gracious to new Christians? I mean, this guy just didn't know any better. He just made a dumb mistake. I love Peter's response too. Listen, if we're going to have a heart for all people, we have to have a first, a right attitude about what God says about us. Peter's response was brilliant and humble and correct. He said, get up. Man, I'm nobody. I'm just a guy like you. When Peter put, had Cornelius stand up, all of a sudden it had this Roman centurion and this great apostle eye to eye on common ground. Why? The apostle Peter is not better than Cornelius. He doesn't deserve to be worshiped. He's just a man like Cornelius. Listen, if we're going to be honest in our heart for all people, we must first remember that we're all human. We're all in need. We all need a savior. We're all normal and make mistakes. We, none of us is better than anyone else. Can I hear an amen? We're not better than someone from another race, another gender, another social class, another denomination, another age group. We're not better than people from other nationalities. We're not better than Mexicans or Canadians or Iraqis. We're not better because of someone's rich or poor. We're all humans. We're all in need of Jesus. Be humble. Fly low. Don't make much of yourself. Don't make little of others either. Love all people. Honor all people. Respect all people. If we're going to have a heart for all people, listen, and we are in a world right now where we are pitted against one another. And if you're the oppressor, we're going to cancel you. If you disagree with me, we're going to cancel you. If you don't vote like me, we're going to cancel you. No, we love you. Peter is in the home of the very type of man that crucified his Christ. And yet he says we're equal. Our world has lost this, man. We have lost this. Church, we've got to do better. Now watch what happens in verse 27. I told you I'm going to get to preach it now. Verse 27, look at this. And as he talked with him, he went in and he sees a whole crowd. You know, Peter's thinking, it's me and Cornelius. This is a, it's like a dinner at the state house. You know what I'm saying? We're going we're gonna to have a little steak, a little wine, a little music. And he rolls in and there's a whole congregation. <laughs> That's a surprise. He finds many people gathered. I love this, by the way, and I'll show you why in a second. So he said to them, now watch what Peter starts with. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. I, I think it's interesting that Paul, Peter rather, tells them up front the laws that they have in place. Because guess who's setting the laws? Romans. He goes, you guys know it's illegal for me to be here, right? I'm in your house, you call me here, but it's illegal, it's unlawful for me to associate or to even visit with you. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. How many of you know our culture is trying to divide people from one another, but God says we're all equal. Our culture is trying to tell you who you should like or love or, or, or dislike or be against, but God says that no one is common or unclean. So he says, so when I sent for, I came without objection. Well, he objected at first, honestly. Peter, remember he objected Jesus. I find it interesting that uh, Cornelius, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Cornelius didn't argue with God, but Peter did. It's something about church people arguing with God. I don't know. It's, Kind of a recurring theme among you guys. 
So I was sent for, I came without objection. So I ask you, why did you send for me? I think it's good that Peter starts with, what do you want? What do you want to talk about? It's interesting. Note that Peter was cautious. Peter had religious and cultural reasons for rejecting these people. In fact, it was illegal. He acknowledged that it was inappropriate and illegal to be together. But then he superseded that illegal reality by saying, but God didn't have those same cultural and religious objections. Can I remind you that God's heart is not shaped by the crazy world we live in? that the social and political realities of the day that we're in, God's heart is not shaped by those things. You can't just say, well, God knows my heart. God knows our race history. God knows our political structure. God's heart is not shaped by any of those things. God loves everyone, so we should love everyone. God desires to reach everyone, so we should desire everyone. God's heart is not shaped by America's race history, by our political social structures, or by modern gender wars. I'm telling you, if the church would get this right, we can actually lead the way in healing our broken culture. We have to share the heart of God for all people and make sure that in your heart of hearts, there's no prejudice, there's no angst or animosity, that we don't see people through the lens of how the world views people or how the world tells us to view people. Listen, we know racism's evil, sexism evil, classism evil, all those kind of things. The world is, that's how the world treats people, but God doesn't see people this way. And as the church, we must not see people that way either. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Watch what happens in verse 30. Cornelius just tells a story. He goes, why did you ask for me to come? Cornelius said, well, four days ago, I was praying in my house. He doesn't even know who he's praying to. This is how good God is. Watch. And the ninth hour, behold, a, a man stood before me in bright clothing. It's an angel. Said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea. Isn't it great when God gives real specific instructions? <laughs> Look at verse 33. So I sent for you at once. This is Cornelius telling Peter, so I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now he goes, we're all here. Look at the hunger of this guy. He goes, we're all here in the presence of God to hear everything that you've been commanded by the Lord. Man, you know when I said we started with Paul's admonition, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save everybody. You may not ever be invited in to do this, I mean, this is a pretty significant, they're, they're like, open, door, tell us whatever, command it all to us, give it all to us. But, you know, Peter didn't always have that kind of a welcoming audience. He just, he still had to preach all the time, right? But I'm just telling you, there's something about realizing, I, I, I love that there's a crowd together. You know what it tells me is that people were hungry for God. Peter had no idea when he agreed to go to Cornelius' house that there'd be dozens or hundreds of people there. And you may be surprised by how many people you can actually impact or share the gospel with. You may not realize the people in your office want the God you serve. The people in your neighborhood want to know the God you serve. You may not realize it yet because you're waiting on some glorious invitation with hundreds of people. People are so hungry for God and it's evident because people are trying to fill their lives with so many other things to become their God. Their own power, their own fame, their own money, their own addicts, addictions, their own habits. People are hungry for God. And I'm telling you, if we will be stirred to love all people and desire that all people come to know God, you might be surprised by how many people are actually hungry for God. Man, if we're going to have a heart like God for people, we need to trust that people are hungry for God. I want you to think right now about folks in your classroom, folks at your job, in your company or your battalion, folks in your neighborhood. People need God. And I just really believe this. If we'll start asking God for opportunities to share the gospel, he will give you those opportunities to share the gospel. Amen? So, so we have to have a heart like God for all people. By the way, does it feel like I'm yelling? 
Stephanie said, my eyes look like I'm yelling. Well, I got new glasses, right? And see the black rim on the top. So I look like I got a year in a brow and I'm always looking down so I can take them off and smile more, but I can't see. <laughs> By the way, to all you young people, I'm old now, right? There's something that happens at 40. Am I right, 40 plus? What the heck? It's like, a, it's like your, your, your computer system changes. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, my eyes started going bad, like perma-bad. You know what I'm saying? I used to be able to squint it out. Not anymore. You ever have a preacher just taking his glasses on and off the whole time? Those are readers. I need glasses, not readers. But anyway, so I apologize if it looks like I'm, la- I'm yelling. I'm not mad, but it's my glasses. Anybody over 40 know what I'm talking about? Man, what happened? Whew, gravity becomes like your worst enemy. Sugar sticks now. You know what I'm saying? Like you should be able to run Christmas off. Not anymore. That's why I got to fast 21 days because of Christmas. <laughs> I promise I'm never mad when I'm up here preaching. I know sometimes I get fired up and I'm never mad. I don't get mad at y'all. I don't. So uh, as we're watching the story unfold, let's just share the gospel straight up. That's what Peter does. I mean, he just goes for it. They said, teach us everything the Lord's commanded you. You remember the great commission of Jesus, Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I've commanded you. These people are asking, Peter, teach us everything God's commanded you. Very great commissioning, right? So now Peter starts sharing the gospel, and he does not hold back. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't culturalize it. He doesn't patty cake it. He was full on true, and Peter was direct, and he let God have his way in what happened. He wasn't afraid of offending them. He wasn't afraid of, of, of making it hard on them. He didn't excuse parts of the gospel because it was uncommon to this crowd. He just lays it out. Watch what happens. Verse 34. So Peter opens his mouth. And he says, okay, truly I understand now that God shows no partiality. You got to understand the context. He's like, I'm going into the centurion's house. I may not survive it. But they turn around going, we're hungry for God. We want to know everything God's taught you. And he's going, I get it now. Jesus truly shows no partiality. I got to remind you, man, listen, there may be people that you're partial towards or you're against, but God's not. God shows no partiality towards anyone. Look what he says, in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. What does it mean to fear God and do what's right? It means to love God and to submit to God. That's what that means. To fear God is to love him, to put him at the place of of proper authority in your life, to worship God, to fear God, to be in awe of him. And to do what he says is to submit the call of God. Listen, this is as simple as I can make being a Christian. The call of God for every human is to surrender your whole life to Jesus. So that's what it means to fear God and do what's right. Surrender your whole life to Christ. And if you'll do those two things, love God and live for God. Man, I'm telling you, you're acceptable to God. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Now watch this. This is amazing. Share the gospel. So, so he starts preaching and he keeps going. Watch, he just goes through it. As for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus, that is the only way to have peace with God, the only way to live at peace in this world is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to what he's saying. This is the gospel. Preaching good news of peace through Jesus. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Come on, the Romans knew what happened to the crucifixion of Christ. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power. He went about, Jesus went about doing good. How many of you know Jesus is always doing good? He never did anything bad ever one time. 
and he's still not doing bad things to us. He's always doing good, and he healed all who were oppressed by the devil. The ultimate healing of oppression by the devil is that we find eternal life in Christ. Can I hear an amen? For God was with him, verse 39, and we are witnesses of everything that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now, I just want to pause here and acknowledge something. He's in Cornelius' house, a centurion soldier. Who hammered the nails into the arms and feet of Jesus? Centurion soldiers did that. I think it's brilliant that Peter did not say, you crucified Jesus. And he could have. And it would have made sense to categorize him along with every other centurion. But I think in grace, Peter allowed that man to not be identified with his group anymore. He said, they did that, not you. That's not who you are anymore. God's doing something different in you. Because I'd imagine as a centurion sitting here when I hear that, they, they hung him on a Roman cross. Cornelius would probably go, that was me. I did, my people did that. My group did that. But Peter is so brilliant. He said, they did that, not you. I know you're one of them, but that's not how God sees you right now. Can I tell you something, church, listen, look, just look at me. One of the problems with how we treat people now is we assume you are them. And if they've hurt you, then a version of them is you and you're going to hurt me too. That's just not the gospel. That's not Christianity. To hold me accountable for every white man in America, that's not the gospel. To hold you accountable for every black man in America, it's not the gospel. To hold someone accountable for every Hispanic person in America, it's not the gospel. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? I just love that Peter distanced that centurion from what all other centurions were a part of. He even said, you yourselves know what happened in Judea. You know what happened. But he said, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Can I just say how gracious our God is? That he's so forgiving and kind that even when we are a part of the group that makes the worst mistakes, God can forgive that and not hold it against us. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? They put him to death, he says, by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, and God commanded us to preach. This is all the gospel. God commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God, to be the judge. How many of you know we are not appointed by God to be the judge? Hallelujah. Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. And to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. Look at this. All the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they all bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He didn't he didn't culturalize the gospel. He didn't Romanize the gospel. He kept the gospel very central to what he had to say, and he was not ashamed one bit. Let me just recap for short what he said in bullet points. God shows no partiality. All people can be saved. All people can be healed by a loving, and follow, by a loving God and a follow, and by, through following Jesus. 
Everyone is savable. Everyone is lovable. Everyone's redeemable. Everyone is valuable to God, which means they're valuable to us. He goes on to say, the only way to have peace with God and to have peace in this world is to have a relationship with Jesus. He says, Jesus is Lord of everything. God has anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. He said, God anointed Jesus with power. He said, Jesus only does good everywhere he goes. And Jesus is good. He said, Jesus is a healer. He said, God was with Jesus and not any other religious system. It's only through Jesus. You're not saved through Islam, through Buddhism, through any other way. It's only through Jesus. He said, we are witnesses about Jesus. He said, Jesus was put to death on a cross. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. He said, Jesus appeared to many as resurrected. It's been proven in history. He said, we are to preach the gospel. We are to testify about Jesus. He said, Jesus will be the judge of the world, not us. Be set free, every judgmental Christian. Be set free. It's not for you to judge. He said, all the prophets of the Bible point to Jesus. And then he says, everyone who believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness and be saved. He doesn't make it culturally sensitive. He doesn't make it Roman appropriate. And I'm convinced that one of the biggest challenges we have with presenting the gospel is that we don't really know the gospel. We think the gospel is what would Jesus do? We think it's bumper sticker Christianity or God forbid Instagram meme Christianity. If the full breadth of your theology comes from little square tiles of randomly out of context scriptures, that's not the gospel. If your whole breadth of Christian theology comes from the latest trendy, skinny pants wearing, smoky pastor says, you need the gospel. And I'm telling you, I think one of the problems with our world is that the church is not sharing the gospel. We're sharing the doctrines of our churches and we're sharing the arguments of our Christianity. But would we please share the gospel? Jesus raised from the dead for you to have eternal life. You'll never be saved apart from Jesus. We need the good news. We need the gospel. You should memorize this passage. Stop trying to share social commentaries. Stop trying to politicize the gospel. Stop trying to Americanize it. Stop trying to genderize it. Stop trying to sugarcoat and holding back. Tell people that they're going to hell without Christ. Tell people that Jesus died to pay the price for it. It's not easy, but it's not hard either. He made it as easy as possible to live for him. We're called to Jesus and we are to tell about Jesus. That's the gospel. Stop worrying about, oh, am I going to offend them? Plan on it. Stop worrying about, oh, they're going to reject me. Plan on it. Don't wonder if they're going to disown you. Expect it. But you and I have to have a heart for all people, and we must have the gospel in our mouths at all times. Don't disqualify who's worthy of you sharing the gospel. The only hope our world will ever have, I need to smile more. The only hope our world will ever have is the gospel. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? I don't know if you're catching what I'm throwing down can't see half of you now. It's just a big, blurry, colorful mass on the back. Remember what Paul said? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Some of us are not ashamed of our politics. We're not ashamed of our social positions. Church, listen, that's not our fight. Come back to the gospel. Come back to the gospel. Jesus died for the world. He raised from the dead to defeat every sin in your life and to give you new life. Now watch what happens. I believe this is so true. If we'll just do that, God will wreck some people. If we'll just tell them the gospel, quit telling them your political version of the gospel. Quit telling them your Baptist version or your Pentecostal version or your Catholic traditions of the gospel. Stop all that. Tell people the gospel. You notice the guys are like, tell us everything Jesus commanded you to tell them. He didn't start with, well, the Baptist faith that mission says. 
according to Catholic tradition. He didn't do any of that. He said the gospel. And watch what happens. Man, while Peter was talking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. Every one of them who heard it. Now, I've, I've been long-winded before. And I've had people get up and leave while I'm preaching because I took too long. I get it. Some of y'all are tempted right now. You're gathering your belongings. I get it. Sir, put your stuff down. But it's bad when God himself interrupts Peter because he went too dang long. You know what I'm saying? Here's Peter on point number 17. Um, it, look, God interrupts the service because they're, they're so stirred by what God's doing through this gospel presentation. God's like, I just got to bust out on him right now. And while he was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on every one of them who heard the word. And the believers from among the, the circumcision party... They were standing with Peter amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. These weren't Jewish converts. These weren't people that had gone through the growth track or got circumcised and then became Christians. They weren't saved for a matter of weeks first. The Spirit of God just poured out on these outsiders, these impartial Gentiles, the ones who crucified Christ. The Spirit of God poured out on them too. Watch what happens. They were hearing them speaking in tongues. Listen, these people were so hungry for God and God was so hungry for them. They start speaking in tongues. They start extolling God. I mean, can you imagine being one of the church guys on the trip with Peter going, what in the world happened? God showed up. That's what happened. You know why? Because Peter stuck to the gospel. He wasn't trying to convince them of his way. He was trying to convince them of the gospel. And when he did that, the spirit of God poured out. They were baptized. They were, they, they, excuse me, they hadn't been circumcised. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't gone through next steps, but they were so hungry for God that God moved in their lives. They started speaking in tongues. They start worshiping God, extolling God. Peter goes, how can we not baptize these people? They've already received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Can I remind you that Christianity is an equal religion? So he commands that they be baptized. And then they ask Peter, stay with us for some more days. Listen, this is amazing. They were so moved by God and so hungry for God. I gotta finish. God moved on them and changed them forever. Look at it. They'd never heard the gospel before. Now they've heard it. They never believed the gospel before. Now they've accepted it. They never spoke in tongues before. Now they're speaking in tongues. They never praised God so emphatically. Now they're extolling God. They're shouting down the preacher. They'd never been baptized before. Now they're getting baptized. They never received Jesus and now they've received him and their lives are changed forever. I'm telling you, if we'll have a heart for people like God does, he will change people. If you'll start loving all types of people, oppressors and the oppressed, rich and poor, black and white, old and young, male and female, if you'll start loving people the way God does and start introducing them to the gospel, I believe God will change the lives of people. If we'll stay committed to living and proclaiming the real gospel, not meme Christianity, without holding back or sugarcoating, without worrying about offending, and if we'll just trust God. Listen, I'm not telling you to be a jerk. There's no spiritual gift of being a jerkitude. Some people are like, my pastor said, preach the gospel no matter what, I'm going to offend everybody. Don't be offensive. Let the gospel be offensive. But you don't need to be offensive. That's what street preaching box shouters, you're going to hell because that skirt preaching does. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, I love that you're wearing that skirt, but I don't even care about that. Jesus wants to change your life. He died for your sins. And your, your skirt is not the biggest thing Jesus died for. <laughs> right? Like we just make so many stupid things big deals. Preach the gospel, man. I'm telling you, tell the truth of the gospel. I'm believing with all my heart that this is how God will change your family. This is how God will change our city. This is how God will change our church. How God will change our nation and our world. Can you imagine being so focused on living and leading like this that God would show up and transform people?
What if we opened our hearts towards people who we don't have a heart for? What if we started praying about opportunities to share the gospel with our oppressors, the people in positions of power, or the ones who've offended us or hurt us or took from us? What if we just started living with a grace towards all kinds of people and believe that as we bring the gospel, God will wreck their lives? Can I hear an amen, everybody? Father, in Jesus' name, would you put the words of the gospel in our hearts? God, would you absolutely meet us with a passion to see people far from God come near to Jesus? Lord, would you use us to bring transformation to our city and to our families, to our community, to our church, to our world? God, I thank you that it is through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. May the gospel be on our mouths more than anything else, Lord Jesus. God, we love you. We're so honored to live for you and to serve you. God, what a privilege it is to know you and to live for you. Lord, I pray in this season that every one of us would be equipped and empowered and emboldened by your spirit, just like you anointed Jesus, just like you empowered Jesus. Would you anoint and empower your church? Can everybody just open their hands before you go anywhere? Come on, just pray this simply with me. Watching online, come on, say this. Say, God, I'm all in. Say, I believe in Jesus and I believe in this gospel that it is the power of God to save all people. May it forever be in my heart and be on my lips that I would share this gospel with people that I know. Say this, say, Lord, give me opportunities this week to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, I'm all yours. I'm all in to the glory of God. Use me, Lord. Amen.